0: section six of mince pie this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org mince pie by christopher morley section six what men live by what a delicate and rare and gracious art is the art of conversation With what a dexterity and skill the bubble of speech must be maneuvered if mind is to meet and mingle with mind. There is no sadder disappointment than to realize that a conversation has been a complete failure, by which we mean that it has failed in blending or isolating for contrast the ideas, opinions, and surmises of two eager minds. So often a conversation is shipwrecked by the very eagerness of one member to contribute. There must be give and take, parry and thrust, patience to hear and judgment to utter. How uneasy is the qualm as one looks back on an hour's talk and sees that the opportunity was wasted, the precious instant of intercourse gone forever, the secrets of the heart still incommunicate. Perhaps we were too anxious to hurry the moment to enforce our own theory. To adduce instance from our own experience perhaps we were not patient enough to wait until our friend could express himself with ease and happiness perhaps we squandered the dialogue in tangent topics in a multitude of irrelevances. how few how few are those gifted for real talk there are fine merry fellows full of mirth and shrewdly minute observation who will not abide by one topic who must always be lashing out upon some new by-road snatching at every bush they pass they are too excitable too ungoverned for the joys of patient intercourse talk is so solemn a rite, it should be approached with prayer and must be conducted with nicety and forbearance what steadiness and sympathy are needed if the thread of thought is to be unwound without tangles or snapping what forbearance while each of the pair after tentative gropings here and yonder feels his way toward truth as he sees it so often two in talk are like men standing back to back each trying to describe to the other what he sees and disputing because their visions do not tally It takes a little time for minds to turn face to face very often conversations are better among three than between two for the reason then that one of the trio is always unconsciously acting as umpire interposing fair play recalling wandering wits to the nub of the argument seeing that the aggressiveness of one does no foul to the reticence of another Talk in twos may, alas, fall into speaker and listener. Talk in threes rarely does so. It is little realized how slowly, how painfully, we approach the expression of truth. We are so variable, so anxious to be polite, and alternately swayed by caution or anger. Our mind oscillates like a pendulum. It takes some time for it to come to rest. And then the proper allowance and correction has to be made for our individual vibrations that prevent accuracy even the compass needle doesn't point the true north but only the magnetic north similarly our minds at best can but indicate magnetic truth and are distorted by many things that act as iron filings do on the compass the necessity of holding one's job What an iron filing that is on the compass card of a man's brain. We are all afraid of truth. We keep a battalion of our pet prejudices and precautions ready to throw into the argument as shock troops rather than let our fortress of truth be stormed. We have smoke bombs and decoy ships and all manner of cunning colorizations by which we conceal our innards from our friends and even from ourselves how we fume and fidget, how we bustle and dodge, rather than commit ourselves. In days of hurry and complication, in the incessant pressure of human problems that thrust our days behind us, does one never dream of a way of life in which talk would be honored and exalted to its proper place in the sun. What a zest there is in that intimate, unreserved exchange of thought in the pursuit of the magical bluebird of joy and human satisfaction that may be seen flitting distantly through the branches of life. It was a sad thing for the world when it grew so busy that men had no time to talk. There are such treasures of knowledge and compassion in the minds of our friends. Could we only have time to talk them out of their shy quarries? If we had our way, we would set aside one day a week for talking. In fact, we would reorganize the week altogether. We would have one day for worship, let each man devote it to worship of whatever he holds dearest, one day for work, one day for play, probably fishing, one day for talking, one day for reading, and one day for smoking and thinking. That would leave one day for resting and, incidentally, interviewing employers. The best week of our life was one in which we did nothing but talk. We spent it with a delightful gentleman who has a little bungalow on the shore of a lake in Pike County. He had a great many books and cigars, both of which are conversational stimulants. We used to lie out on the edge of the lake in our oldest trousers and talk. We discussed ever so many subjects. In all of them, he knew immensely more than we did. We built up a complete philosophy of indolence and goodwill according to food and sleep and swimming their proper share of homage we rose at ten in the morning and began talking we talked all day and until three o'clock at night then we went to bed and regained strength and combativeness for the coming day never was a week better spent we committed no crimes Planned no secret treaties, devised no annexations or indemnities. We envied no one. We examined the entire world and found it worthwhile. Meanwhile, our wives, who were watching, perhaps with a little quiet indignation from the veranda, kept on asking us, What on earth do you talk about? Bless their hearts, men don't have to have anything to talk about. They just talk. And there is only one rule for being a good talker. Learn how to listen. End of section 6